Genesis, if you have your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1. I, I want to go to a scripture that is very familiar to us. You've probably said it, you've probably quoted it, and there's, there's, there's a few people out there who use this as a Christian catchphrase. I'm sure you've heard it. And it's, a, it's one of those phrases that, that we say and we quote and, and we really don't understand it. But we say it a lot. And so I want to dive in. The title of my message today is Images of an Invisible God. That our, our invisible God has given us images of himself that we can behold and look upon. And in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in in our image. Everybody wants to look upon God. Everybody wants to see him. Even if you think back in Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 14, Jesus had spent his entire ministry with his disciples. And he tells them, I'm going, I'm leaving. It was his final address, one of his final address with, with his disciples. And he says, I'm leaving, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if, if I go and prepare a place for you, you know the story, I'll come again and receive you to myself. You hear it a lot at funerals. And Thomas said, hold on, uh, we don't know where you're going. Remember that, doubting Thomas? And Philip followed it up with this question, we want to see the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been with you all this time? Have I been with you so long and you still don't know who I am? I would say to you and I, have you seen the Father? Have you seen Him? Have you beheld Him? Have you seen His glory? Have you looked upon Him? If you look around the room, you'll see images, marred images, but images of His glory. Just take a look. Yeah, look around the room. Look at the person you're sitting next to. Images of his glory. God created you in his image. God made you. He formed you. He fashioned you. You know, if we talk about images being created in the image of God, we have to understand maybe what an image is. What is he talking about when he says created in his image? It's a photograph, a painting, a statue. Most in the day in which they were writing, we're talking about statues. They didn't have photographs. But you get the image. We, we, you get the picture, right? The image. We see the reflection of the creator in the image. Images are made to glorify the creator. You and I were made. We were created to glorify God. Then sin came and marred the image. Sin Mars, it, it messes up. Actually, Isaiah says this about our image. It says, from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. What a picture of our life in sin, that it's full of bruises, bound up, broken mess. We were created for the glory of God. But we've exchanged, the Bible says in Romans 1, that we've exchanged the glory of God, the image of God. And Romans 1 says that we've exchanged the glory. 
Maybe they'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. In Romans 1, 22, that we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man, birds and animals, creeping things. That we've, we've taken his glory and that's what sin is. That's what sin is. We've exchanged the glory of the Lord from something in this life, something natural. Here's what the Bible says about the image of God. In Genesis, we see God expressed as Melchizedek. In Exodus, he's the burning bush. In Leviticus, he's the tabernacle. Yeah, just take a look with me for a moment. Just take a look through the tabernacle. You see the table of showbread. You see, the, the, you see him expressed in the curtains, in the, in the brass, in the, in the altar. You see God expressed in the tabernacle. In Numbers, he's the Levitical priesthood. In Deuteronomy, he's the written covenant. He's the stone tablet. He's the law. In Joshua, he is the ark of the covenant that leads the people into victory. In Judges, he's the angel of the Lord. In First and Second Samuel, he's the anointing oil. In First and Second Kings, he's the cloud of glory. In First and Second Chronicles, he's Solomon's temple and all of the beauty and all of the symbolism in Solomon's temple. He's the image. It's an express image of the goodness of God. In Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple, we see his glory as they rebuild the temple. In Nehemiah, we see him in the rebuilding of the walls. He takes the ash heap and the pile of rubble and rebuilds it. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah, the Holy Spirit comes and rebuilds. Esther, we see him in the gallows of judgment. In Job, he's a hedge of protection. In Psalms, he's the king of kings ruling from his throne. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom that's inscribed upon our heart. We're talking about the image of God. He's expressing himself. Do you hear me this morning? He's expressing himself, the image of God. In the Song of Solomon, he's the beloved bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's seated high and lifted up on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. In Jeremiah, he's the fountain of living waters. In Lamentations, he's the archer with his bow bent of, with, with judgment. In Ezekiel, he's the river that's flowing from the temple. In Daniel, he's the handwriting on the wall. Does anybody hear me this morning? I'm talking about seeing the image of the invisible God. He's expressing himself throughout centuries, time and time and time again. He's revealing himself to those who will have eyes to see. He's revealing himself in glory. In Hosea, he's the former in the latter rain. In Amos, he's the Lord with the plumb line. In Jonah, he's the great fish. In Micah, he's the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the fortress in, tr in the time of trouble. In Habakkuk, his brightness was like the light, and he had rays flashing from his hand. In Zephaniah, he's in your midst, singing over you. In Haggai, he's the glory in the temple. In Zechariah, he's the wall of fire around you. And Malachi, he sits as the refiner's fire, the launderer's soap, and the son of righteousness who's risen with healing in his beams. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is the son, the, the son who's come down from heaven, the express perfect image of the father. 
In Acts, he's tongues of fire. In Romans, he's the law of love. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he is the body of Christ. In Galatians, he is expressed through the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians, he's the water of the Spirit. In Philippians, he's the gospel message that was preached in chains. Yeah, can you get the image that God shows up in chains? That he shows up in Paul's prison in bondage and in the place of in the place of being shackled in prison. There's God, the express image of his person in those shackles. <laughs> in Colossians, he is Christ, the fullness of all the Father dwells in Christ. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's the calming, conquering King. In First and Second Timothy, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, dwelling in unapproachable light. In Titus, he's the grace of God that brings salvation, which has appeared to all men. In Philemon, he is the liberator of the captives. In Hebrews, he's our heavenly High Priest. In James, he's the Father of Lights. In First Peter, he's the Lamb without a blemish. In Second. In Peter, he's the voice from heaven and a thief in the night. In first and second, third John, he's love manifested. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. Does anybody see him this morning? Can anybody see the image of God this morning? He's all throughout his, his, oh, he's here. Can you see him? He's here. Can you see him? He's here. He's staring you in your face. The image of the Father. In Revelation. (laughs) Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now I saw heaven opened. And behold, (laughs) I'll behold him today. Would you just, could you just behold him with me today? Could you just set your eyes on Christ today? Can you see the Father today? And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can you see him today? He is... He's expressing himself, the image 
of the invisible God. Throughout eternity, he's expressing himself. He's revealing himself. Jesus is the perfect image of God. Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have you seen the beauty of Christ? Are you beholding his beauty? Have you seen him? Are you gazing upon the beauty of the Lord? You know, when you, when you see a masterpiece, an artwork, I think about when we went to Italy and we were going through all of the statues and Michelangelo's, you know, all of the stuff. And was it David that Michelangelo did David? Yeah. You, you, you're standing there and you're watching all of these things and you're, you're gazing upon a statue. People for hundreds of years have been looking on this artwork. It's masterpiece. And it's not even perfect. And yet we have the opportunity. We, we come to church and we, we, we sing our songs, but we have an opportunity. We've been invited in to gaze upon his beauty, to look upon the image of God, to see him, to see the perfect expression, the perfect image. The Bible says in John 1 that the word became flesh, that God, God's idea of himself became flesh. When God created, back in Genesis chapter 1, when he created man, when he created and breathed into his nostrils, he created the very being that his son would dwell in and become the instrument to glorify God. That he created the Father, His handiwork, created the very being that you and I, how we exist in our natural body. The Father created the very thing, the very image that His Son would take upon. Can you think for a moment, just rewind the time clock with me? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at creation and the eternal plan of the ages of redemption that had been planned for you and I. And when he said, let us make man, not only did he know that there would be a need for redemption, but he created the very vessel that would be needed to make atonement for you and I. You see, it could, through the ages, there would be sacrifices. Through the ages, there would be attempts at, at appeasing God's wrath towards sin. But there was only one vessel that could enter the place of my sacrifice. And it had to be. There was no other way. It had to be another man. And, and God came, not as a lamb, not as a goat, not as a turtle dove. But he came as a human representing you and I, he came and he stepped in. He, he could have come as a conquering king. He could have come in, in, in rays of splendor and glory, but he came as a baby born through natural means in a manger. He took on the nature of humanity. He stepped into the vessel that you and I have been marred in because of one man's sin, our, our vessel, 
our, our image that it was to reflect the glory of God has been marred. And Jesus came as our perfect representation. He came as the perfect lamb. He came as the perfect human. He came as the perfect sacrifice. And I get to behold him. I get to look upon him. John said, we touched him. We beheld him. We've seen him. We've touched him. And Song of Solomon, behold his beauty. Song of Solomon says this, listen, I hear my lover's voice. I know it's him coming to me, leaping with joy over the mountains, skipping in love over the hills that separate us. He's coming to me. Let me, let me describe him for you. He's graceful as a gazelle, swift as a wild stag. Now he comes closer, even to the places where I hide. And he gazes into my soul, peering through the portal as he blossoms within my heart. The one I love calls out to me. In Song of Solomon, he's fairer than 10,000. In Revelation, he's the bright and morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. In Isaiah, he's the crown of glory, the diadem of beauty. In Psalms, he's the perfection of beauty shining forth. Have you seen him lately? Have you beheld the image of God in Christ? Colossians tells us that he's the image of the invisible God. So when I want to see the invisible God, I thank God for you and I can see his, his glory being reflected through the glass dimly. But when I look upon Jesus, I see the beauty. I see the glory. I don't, I don't have to look at fallen man as my example. Although we are all challenged, let me, let me say this, we are all challenged to set that example. We are challenged to, and I, I, I'm going to get there, we're challenged to come up higher. But I look to Christ, the perfect image of the invisible God. In 2 Corinthians, it says that in this world, that the minds of unbelievers cannot comprehend, they, they're kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the image of God. The, the unbelieving, this perverse generation can't see the light. Oh, but they're challenged when they come into the light because their sins are exposed. The Bible tells us that two things happen when we come into the light. We either love the light and we embrace it and we allow it to search our hearts, even the hidden places. Or the Bible says that we hate the light. And we actually persecute it. That's a, that's a whole nother sermon, but Jesus is the perfect image of God. And our purpose, our identity, who we are is to be conformed to that image. Your identity, who you are, your purpose, your destiny is to be conformed to Christ. Why do you exist? In Romans 8, it tells us in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. All oh, those ugly words in the Bible. There they are. 
He foreknew, I'm joking, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You were created. You were fashioned. You were formed. Genesis 1.26, in the image of God. And to be conformed, to be recreated to that image. If you think about it, if you go, I, I love going to, to pottery stores. I love pottery. And when we go to Illinois, there's a, there's a shop in Illinois right on the river that is a, a, pot, a potter, pottery store, pottery. They make pottery. And they have all the, all the pottery that they've made on display. You can buy it. Of course, we've got some things there. I love the, the place. I love going to the potter's house, the potter's store. I love, I love just going in and taking a look. Each of us, if you just get that image, the potter is recreating you to that image. You are being formed, fashioned. He's working on you. He's got you on his wheel, forming and fashioning you. Matthew Henry says this, it takes the whole of sanctification. This verse being conformed to the image of Christ. It takes the whole of sanctification of which Christ is the great pattern and sampler. To be spirit as Christ was, to walk and live as Christ did, to bear our sufferings patiently as Christ did. Christ is the express image of his Father, and the saints are conformed to the image of Christ. Thus it is by the mediation and the intervening of Christ that we have God's love restored to us and God's likeness renewed upon us in which these things consist the happiness of man. How do you know if you're really born again? I, you know, I know we give the church answer because the Holy Spirit, Jesus. But how do you... I, yeah, that's, a, that's good. That's a good church answer. But how do you really know when you look at your life, when you look over your life, we're challenged throughout Scripture to make our calling and our election sure, to work out our salvation, all these things. How do you know you really got it? Let me tell you. Because the Holy Spirit is working out the nature of Christ in you. He's working out the, can I see Jesus? Do I see the image? Do I, can, can I look into your life and see the image of his glory? When I hear you talk, can I hear the image of his glory? When I watch your life steps, can I see the image of his glory? When, when I watch the pattern of your life, you see, you are a living, moving, breathing image. You are, you're a living, moving, breathing statue, if you will. You have life on the inside of you. And when I look at you, although you might be marred, can I see the nature of God being created and formed in you? In Colossians, it tells us, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self and you've put on the new self. You've been, that, that old way of living has been shattered. Did you hear me? That, that old pattern, those old tapes have been shattered. How you used to be known, how you used to operate, your old identity, that has been shattered. And you've put on, you've put on a newness. And it's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 
you know what happens? And let me, let me read that verse from Colossians again. This is really powerful. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What does that mean? It means that as you get in this book, knowledge of who God is, the Holy Spirit is working his word out on the inside of you. That means as you have revelation knowledge of who God is, the Holy Spirit begins, when you read in his word, oh, don't lie to one another. (laughs) Wow, I shouldn't lie. Holy Spirit, I got a lying issue. I'm not saying me, maybe I do, Lord help me. I don't think I do. Lord, change me. Oh, that prideful spirit. Oh, that's a that's in there too. <laughs> oh God. So we get renewed in his image. He's working his image out in you and I. Now, why is that so powerful? Well, one, because you don't have to continue on in your depravity. That if, if the gospel of Christ is real, what's the implication of this? That you don't have to continue on in your old self. You don't have to continue on in that anger. You don't have to continue on in that depression. You don't have to continue on in that fear. You don't have to continue on in the pride. You've shed all of that. That old self's obliterated. It's been shattered. And he's renewing your image into his. That means your identity changes. You know, there's all this talk about self-image and having a healthy self-image. You know, you want to know how to have a healthy self-image? You need to take the hammer and obliterate that self. (laughs) That's how you have a healthy self-image. That now, now, there ain't no counselor, worldly counselor going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. You need to, your, your pastor is going to tell you the truth. You need to take that self-image and you need to flush it down the toilet. And your healthy self-image comes when you recognize that you were born to bear the image of God. That's where healthy self-image comes in. Myself is a wreck. But I've taken on the nature of Christ. That old self is obliterated and Christ is being formed in me. That's where healthy self-image comes from. That's where where healthy perspective comes in. Christ is forming me. He's changing me. He's renewing me. And then, so let's just take it a little bit further. So, this is good stuff. So, So he changes your image into his image. So let me ask you this. When the father looks at you, whose image does he see? Oh yeah, you missed it. You missed your opportunities to shout right there. You missed your opportunity to go crazy. When, when the father looks at you, whose image does he see? He, he said in 120, let us create man in our image. 
Whose image does the Father see? If you're being recreated into the image of Christ, He looks at you and sees the the imprint. The Bible tells us that He sees the imprint of the Son. That means my marred, messed up self has been imprinted. There's been another image stamped over my sinful, carnal self. There's there's another image that's been placed over me. I've shed the old self, and I've been clothed with Christ. That's now, Now, let's keep going. So if the Father sees the image of His Son, that means I now bear all the blessing and the benefits of sonship. And daughtership. You just, you just see, y'all are missing. This must be really heavy for you this morning because you ain't shouting. I, I bear all, not because I've earned it or because my image deserves it. Paul said it, that that image, my old, that all deserved to be on the heap of trash. But because I have the image of Christ. All of the blessings of sonship have been transferred to me. That means I'm co-heir with Christ. That means I have access to the Father. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. That means that mercy and goodness are following me. That means the anointing and the power, the same spirit that was on Christ without measure is upon me. This is good stuff. So, so I'm being changed into his image. Let's keep on. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We with unveiled face are beholding, what? The glory of the Lord. So we now because we are being changed, we are being transformed, we now with unveiled face. I want you to think about Moses going in. Had to what? Yeah, this... The glory of the Lord was too much. What'd they tell him? Hey, dude, <laughs> you're radiating. <laughs> and it's not because you got Mary Kay on today. You need to, you need to, you got, there's sun shining from your face. You need to put a veil on that thing. But the veil. Again, it was it was a type and a shadow. Another, it was just another thing. When the glory of the Lord, when the light of His glory shows up, it's got to be veiled. And now in Christ, the veil is torn, the veil is gone. And Paul says, "With unveiled face, we behold His glory." It's not it's not us; it's Him. The veil has been taken away, and we can see Him for who He is. The veil that the veil of sin, the veil of all of the, the, the veil of access, the veil of religion, all of those the veils that were have been removed. Who removed them? Christ did. That was his sacrifice. He removed the veil. And now we behold him. We can see him beholding the glory of the Lord. And what happens when we behold? What happens when we see? What we worship is what we become. What you focus on, where you set your eyes is where you end up. 
So when you're beholding his glory, guess what happens? You are transformed. You're metamorphosized from glory to glory, from one degree, from one degree of glory to the next. We're being changed into the image of God. How does it happen? We behold him. If all you do in life is look at the crud and the junk around you, you're gonna be, that's what you're going to become. But if you set your eyes on things above, set your eyes on the glory, behold his glory, you're going to be changed into that image, changed in the image of God. And our worship, so we're being transformed. We're being changed. Tell somebody next to you, say, you're being changed. Come on, tell somebody, say, you're being changed. That's good news. He's still working on you. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. <laughs> He's still, but his image. I mean, let me, let me just take this a step further. When the world looks at you, who's, who do they see? Okay, I'll stop. I can't, I can't get no amens when I tell you the truth. We're beholding his glory. You know, this, this is just my own thought here. But this really makes Christianity pretty simple. You know, when you, when we're, when you tell people you got rules to follow, you got to do this, this, and this. It, it becomes all about what I do. But when you really see the gospel, when you really see the gospel, he's changing me, he's transforming me. And I get the pleasure of just delighting in him. I get, I get the joy of just beholding him. I, I get the joy of just being invited in to, to sit at his feet and to worship. And so, so really what worship is all about is it's beholding the glory of the Lord. And worship beholding him and two, bringing others into that image, bringing others into that delight. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So the overflow of the working of God in our life, the image of God, that nature that's being recreated in us causes us to overflow with works that glorify the Father. That, that as we are changed and transformed into that image of God, we begin to act like Jesus. We begin to look like Jesus. We act like Jesus. We talk like Jesus. And when people see you, they see Jesus. They see, they see him working. They hear him talking. They may say things like, well, you look different or sound different or act different.
Your works glorify the Father. So your works are, are worship to God. Your, what you do, what you do and how you live, what you say, how you share compassion with others, how you bear the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things are worship to the Lord. Not just how you sing on Sunday, but how you walk on Monday. Not just the song you sing, but the words you talk. Our worship. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but Lord remind us, Lord remind us that we are being ever changed into this image. What's it gonna look like? What's it gonna look like when we get to heaven? I just want you to think, I've, I've, been, I've been really caught up in heaven lately. <laughs> so, so you'll have to forgive me because I'm gonna talk about heaven again. But, but what's it gonna look like when we get to heaven and there's a bunch of people with different color, different expressions, different languages, all look different, but all bear the image of Jesus. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm going to be taking on a new glorified body. And although I, I might look I don't know how this is going to look. You know, when natural genealogy, you know, just the biological, you kind of look like your parents kind of thing. What Jesus, what the Father, what they must look like that we all end up in heaven and look like we're a bunch of family. I don't know about you, <laughs> but I look really different than some of y'all. <laughs> this is just a thought. But we, we all, when we get to heaven, are gonna, we are going to be bearing the image of the Son. All different, but yet expressed imprints. Change, transform people. In John 15, it says, by this my Father is glorified. You say worshiped. That, that you, what, bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. So another expression of our worship, this nature of Christ that's being worked in us, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, that fruitfulness is worship to God. So the more that you and I are transformed and changed into the image and bear the fruit of the Spirit, we look like Christ and that fruit is a worship. It's a, you know, it brings me back to the garden in, in Song of Solomon. Let, let, him, let him come and walk amongst his garden. Let him see the fruit. Let him, let him walk in the garden of my life smell the fragrance of his fruit 
Romans chapter five. It says this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, everybody say grant to us, because this is, this is good. What is he gonna grant to us? That we live in harmony with one another. That, that's there, it's in the Bible. That we live in harmony. Harmony, everybody say harmony. There you go. You know, so when, when you, now, I, I am not a music teacher or anywhere remotely close. But the when I think of harmony, I, I think harmony in singers. When their voices blend that there's a harmony they all sing different parts right so harmony help me out here singing different parts but in unison am i saying that right together they're singing together saying they're saying they're singing harmony together See, I, I, I have to, I, we all have to study scripture. Harmony. Harmony, together, unity. It's in the Bible. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may what? What's it say? One voice, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice. That's a miracle. <laughs> to, you know, it's a miracle to get singers on one, you know, harmony. But, but taking a unique, how does that happen? Because we are being conformed into the image of the Son. We are being changed. He takes the diversities that are represented in His body and makes them, forms them, fashions them into one body, one image by the Holy Ghost. And we begin to sing and we worship. Our life, how we live, living together in harmony is worship to the Lord. When things are, are disunified or out of harmony, gossip, any of those things, that's why the Bible says don't do it. It's, it brings, it misdirects your worship. It changes the worship from harmony in accord with Christ to now focused on what she did, he did, said, didn't say, all that other stuff which means a hill of beans of difference in the light of eternity. Did you hear me this morning? So it's worship. So what does all this mean? So when I say, Genesis 126, when, 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 when we read this, and God says, let us make man in our image, and we kind of unpack that, it means that God has taken you and I, formed and fashioned you and I, to display his glory. We are marred by sin, and Christ has come, the perfect expression of the goodness, the nature of God, and begins to change us and renew that image. As it was back in Genesis, he begins to renew that image of Christ in us, that we might worship him and that others might glorify God. You know, there's a lot... I could, I could stop there. And, and there's, I just want to add this as I'm wrapping up. Worship team, you can come back. 
when we think about this, when we think about God changing us and transforming us, that we were created in his image. He's transforming us every day from glory to glory. It changes how we view human life. It causes us to value human life. I, I, I'm gonna say it again, because I don't know if you heard me. When, when we recognize that we were created in the image of God, and that image is constantly being renewed by Christ, we recognize the sanctity of human life. So, so I, I'm just gonna be as bold as I can to say that abortion is a sin, it's murder. That murder is wrong. To kill human life, to take human life is wrong. When we recognize, when we recognize that we are created, that those around us are fashioned in the image of God, it causes us to value human life. When we recognize that we are created in the image of God, that tells us that no matter tribe or tongue or nationality or background or experience or race, they're in the image of God. Did you hear me? There's the solve all for racism is that we are created in God's image. I heard the worship team saying amen. That means, let me, let me, let me, let me just keep going here. <laughs> what, what's the implications of this message, pastor? Let's just keep walking it on out a little bit. That means I can't hate people, racism. It also means that I can't hold an offense. It means, it means I gotta love <laughs> brothers and sisters. I have to value them. <laughs> It's I can't hold on to those cruddy offenses and excuses. It means I gotta let it go and walk in forgiveness, walk in harmony, walk in unity. It means that my identity is in Christ. Not in what I possess or how successful I am. That the value of the essence of the value of who you and I are is rooted and founded in Christ and His image. And those outside of Christ, that's why they wrestle and struggle with this. And and that's why they base their their self-worth on what they do and how successful they are and what they own and what kind of job they have and all the things of the town. Because that's Without Christ, without understanding that you were formed and created in God's image and are being renewed in that image day by day, there's no, there's no hope. And so when we understand that, Christ changes everything. The, the identity of who I am, my value, my, you don't have to try to find your, your self-worth. Listen to me, somebody. Hallelujah. Listen to me. You don't have to find your self-worth 
and what other people tell you. Amen, Kathy. I'm going to preach just to you because you amen me. No. You don't have to find your worth in what people tell you. Whether or not, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, it's not, that's not where your worth comes from. How, how valuable do you think Jesus is? Let me just, let me just make it real, real. How valuable do you think Jesus is? You, you can't, you can't put a price tag on his worth. Right? You can't put a price tag on his value. Sweetheart, listen to me. If you is in the image of Christ and being renewed into that image, you can't put a dollar figure on you. And that's not something that your mama just told you to make you feel better about yourself. It's reality. The image of Christ is being written all over you. Lord. So, have you beheld 